Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Talking Law, brought to you by LatitudeLaw.com. I am Sally Penny, a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester. I am the founder of Women in the Law UK, an organisation which is passionate about supporting the next leaders in law. For this special episode of Talking Law, you'll hear from Gary McKindo, an immigration solicitor and founder of Latitude Law, a firm which specialises in business immigration, refugee and human rights. Gary is also chair of the Electronic Immigration Network and also a trustee of human rights charity RAPA. I asked Gary what specifically attracted him to this area of the law. So I got really rubbish A-levels and I started a degree in linguistics that eventually I didn't realise I didn't want to do. So I dropped out and I got a job and I, I, I moved away from Manchester down to Croydon to work for the Home Office, in fact. Oh, I didn't know that. And that is <coughs> how it started, really. So I worked there for three years, um, did a bit of travelling after that and then um, went back to study law. I graduated and I looked to immigration law because it's kind of what I'd been working in and I had some experience so I was more likely to get a job in that area and to be honest it's not been a bad area to specialise in it's interesting you know you know to do stuff like judicial review I think a lot of lawyers don't get the opportunity to do that kind of litigation and um, obviously there's a human big human rights element so uh, I was kind of lucky really yeah now um, you came back to the north then after London were you ever worried that your career might not flourish in the north I didn't really think about it to be honest I was in the same situation that a lot of law students are in I didn't have contact you didn't know lawyers and I had to really work hard to get a training contract. I ended up getting one in Newcastle upon Tyne. Oh, did you? was up there for a while. I was going to say, how was that? <laughs> it was um, pretty cold, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a really good training. I worked at David Gray & Co, um, oh, yes. which is a good multidiscipline practice. Again, a good kind of human rights background. And I sort of qualified back in Manchester then and I it didn't really occur to me to go back to London even though I'd kind of lived you know lived and studied there for for about eight years Wow and can I ask you about sort of this sort of north-south divide in law when it comes to career opportunities and financial success do you think there is one? Um, I mean I'm sure there is in terms of financial rewards but i don't see that um, you know there's a big difference in the substance of the work we do. I think I suppose I notice it when we you know when we're instructing council because uh, we work in quite a specialist area. It can be a bit tricky you know to get people locally. You know there are chambers that do, including mm. yours, Sally, yes. um, do immigration work. Yes. But, um, you know you want some at short notice. You know you've got the big sets like Garden Court in London who you know they've got a good range. They're, so we do tend to instruct out down there quite quite a bit but mm. um, I don't think I mean I think Manchester's a great city to practice in absolutely um, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely and interestingly you mentioned travelling before and you've been you know all over the world Brazil New Zealand Indonesia Israel Burma India do you think um, that has actually impacted your view uh, on immigration law here in the UK and your interest in human rights I think so I think what it does, what it's going to help me with um, primarily is kind of improving my geography. <laughs> I think what it also teaches you is to be a bit more kind of resilient or self-sufficient. 
Yes. So definitely helpful from that point of view. I would I would definitely encourage well not just lawyer you know prospective lawyers I would encourage anybody to do it really and uh, I think it it kind of helped me um, to get into a job because uh, I did that before I got my training contract. And, yes. Yeah, it kind of gives you some something to talk about and some you know rather than just going straight from university law school straight into a training contract. Absolutely. Now, so talking about the job, um, can you remember a case that's changed your career? I, I was thinking about this. I pr- would probably pick a case that I've been involved in on and off for probably about 12 years now on behalf of various family members. The case involves a uh, Rwandan family and the um, the mum and dad, they're accused of involvement in the genocide in the 1990s and it's been a mixture of asylum and extradition I mean I'm not an extradition specialist but uh, my previous firm we worked uh, closely with a criminal team there who were handling the extradition matter and I think I think what it really taught me was the value of solid research and case preparation I think you know we put a hell of a lot of resource into that case and um, ended up with a good result. It didn't stop the Rwandan government coming back and having another go at extradition, but um, again, that was successfully challenged. It reached the point now where I'm I'm acting for the children. You know, there are some children who are now adults, you know, and they require separate separate representation. So it's kind kind of the case that keeps on giving, really. Yes, absolutely. Well, and actually impacting people's lives in a positive way. Yeah. Um, uh, so I really wanted to ask you about uh, whether you think the legal sector has an issue with diversity and if there are any specific areas are worse than others, if you like. You know, we are a, uh, I suppose we're, our concern is gender because we're called women in the law. Uh, mm-hmm. But actually we have lots of male members and male champions. But do you think... There are other areas, you know, there are very few BAME practitioners. There are still social mobility is still an issue. How can we rectify some of these? Yeah, I think that what you've got is quite a significant divide in the legal profession between those with contacts. um, And as I said earlier, I'm not I wasn't one of those people, you know, from a white relatively working class background and you know I didn't didn't have any kind of of the leg ups available to you know to certain people who might then end up in larger firms and I think how it impacts or how I see it impacting on um, black and minority minority ethnic practitioners or potential practitioners is they're often kind of pushed towards working for smaller firms and I think they're pushed towards starting on their own earlier you know because they're being denied kind of career opportunities and I think that kind of stores up problems for some people and I think those smaller practices um, they suffer from lack of supervision lack of systems perhaps lack of resource they're far more likely to get in bother with the regulators than larger businesses and I I think I think that comes back to you know that those kind of that kind of denial of opportunities early on in people's careers, really. Yeah, in the same way as, you know, uh, women who have suffered some form of discrimination on grounds of pregnancy or or so on, then set up on their own, uh, Mm. and then trying to build, rather than the larger organisation, supporting and nurturing those talents. And it's hard. I think it's... I I mean, I set up my own practice, you know, 
11 years ago, I, along with the rest of the immigration department at Robert Lazar's in Manchester, we were made redundant, basically. The, the firm decided it didn't want to be involved in immigration work anymore, and I had a big decision to make then. Yes. I could have applied around, you know, looked at looked at working for another firm, but, you know, we decided as a group, so as me, one of the solicitor, and a couple of admin people, you know, we decided to kind of go it on our own. And that was a, it was a daunting time for, yeah, well, for me, because yes. I, I was kind of, I kind of borrowed the money to start yeah. things off, you know, to rent an office and um, buy a computer and stuff like that. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad I did it, but I see the pitfalls, I can see the dangers, you know, yes. I mean, we had an, I was probably lucky, really, we had an SRA inspection, very, you know, within probably 18 months of setting up. Um, wow. And I think it was... I'm not sure if that's why, in a helpful. positive way. <laughs> it was quite helpful. Yes, now you reflect on it. <laughs> yeah, reflecting on it, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that probably set the grounds as to how you wanted your workplace to be, really, because I know you're very keen on well-being, which is something I'm going to ask you about, you know, what you do for well-being and how you are trying to monitor the well-being of the staff, the solicitors and in your firm because you know you have yoga and stuff like that what do you do for your well-being and what do you do for for theirs really yeah we do try to create a good office environment we we've we've just moved to St James's on Oxford Street in Manchester it's a much larger we've basically tripled our floor space wow we've got everybody on the same floor which is a really positive move uh we've got um you know, much better meeting space. And uh, what we've done over the years as well is kind of promote a collegiate atmosphere in the firm, really. We have a we have staff conference every year. In the last few years, we've been lucky enough to be able to take everyone uh, abroad. So we've been, to, we've been to Spain a couple of times. We were in Morocco a few weeks ago. And we take everybody, you know, we take the, from the, senior solicitors down to the admin team yes. and the reception team everybody comes with us and I think it's really it's brilliant it's really helpful and we also take we have a former employee um, who decided she doesn't want to be a lawyer and she's now uh, a mindfulness practitioner and we we took her along as well and she 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 did sessions with us Fantastic. by the pool in Marrakesh and I think and it's yeah it's a relatively small thing it's for a few days in a year isn't it but it's kind of a nice focus for the practice and it kind of informs how we you know how we run the place uh, you know for the rest of the year yes and and building um building the team mm. yeah interesting interesting mm. so um what do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions that the public has about lawyers one of the biggest misconceptions i think would be that the legal profession is a homogenous bunch of people the the difference is are not between barristers and solicitors. They're between the corporate world and the kind of personal, private client, legal aid aspects of, you know, law, working in a law sense. You know, you've got such a gulf between people who work in those two, you know, very, yes. very, very different sectors. And I think, you know, the, the whole idea that um, lawyers make a load of money is, um, it still exists in the, in the in the public eye, I think, and mm. you know, clearly it's completely completely wrong. You know, you know, when council's doing work on, you know, for fixed or, fixed or graduated 50. fees on, you know, you know, kind of hearings, it's um, it's it's worse than it's worse than driving a 
taxi, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. And so what, what piece of advice would you give a young lawyer today? I think the advice I give would be, as well as being a lawyer, you need to be a business person as well. You need a commercial mind. And that applies, I think, even if, you know, even if you're starting out in a law centre, you know, that law centre still has to survive economically, you know, it has to think about fundraising and it has to be viable yes. uh, because, you know, you don't get the, the, the same kind of local authority grants that, you know, that I had when I was running a running a law centre in North Absol- Manchester. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's very good advice, actually, um, whether for solicitors or barristers, mm. um, to have a commercial view. So what's your concern, what's your biggest concern about the future of your specific area of the law? I think that the challenges uh, that are presented by the UK leaving the EU or potentially doing so are a big issue for us. I mean, yeah. so I Brexit. Mean, yeah, mm. I mean, I mean, I mean, lots of people who say, "Oh, this is going to be great for you, isn't it?" And I say, "Well, you might think that, but what's what we've noticed over the last couple of years is that the the flow of people, you know, moving into the UK is." is has gone down you know there yes. are not so many people interested in coming to live and work here mm. um, whether they're from the EU or or from elsewhere to be yes. honest yeah. um, there's no there's been no evidence that the government's going to make life easier for non-EU migrants as yeah. well I think that was probably a bit of a misconception at the beginning you know a lot of people who were pro-Brexit were talking about it creating a more benign environment for you know Indian subcontinent or African visa applicants, but yeah. I really don't see that that's um, that that's going to happen. And I think you know for the corporate clients we represent, while the you know the challenges are there, and that you might you might think that would increase the amount of work we get from them. What's actually happen is, happening is, especially with Brexit uncertainty, mm. is people just aren't making decisions. People are just putting yes. things on hold. Yeah. And you know, we've seen a, we've definitely seen a slowdown in the last, well, I, I suppose in the last quarter of last year, first quarter of 2019. Mm. Interesting, because the Bank of England says the same thing about economic growth. Mm. <laughs> um, so it's, it is all linked. Now, Gary, you're dealing with some of the most vulnerable people in society and sometimes going through the very difficult times. How do you ensure your well-being? Cycling's a big thing for me, yeah. I, I, I was in Wales a couple of weeks ago and I got out early in the morning. I did 70 kilometres around, um, wow. around a reservoir and um, up some hills and down some hills. And it was it's just amazing. You know, you can just, you can just lose yourself. You, you know, you're struggling up inclines and you there's no room in your head for anything else really yeah. you know, it's um it's a good it's a good way to get away i run a bit and um i've got i have to parent teenage kids it's not exactly a stress buster but it kind of puts it puts work stresses into perspective yes absolutely um now one of your roles is that you're a trustee of the human rights charity rapa which is r a p a r why is that role important to you? I came across Rapa through Dr. Retta Moran, who was an academic. She was working at Salford University uh, at the time. This was quite a few years ago. Mm. Rapa is about um, what the academics called action research. So it's about involving 
the individuals in active work on their own behalf. So you're not just treating them as subject. The academics are not just treating them as subjects. They are assisting them and empowering them to, you know, to do work on their own cases and to uh, think about the contacts they have, you know, and to and to use those contacts rather than just be the su- be the subject like a you know, like a lab rat or something. Yes, quite. Oh, and it's kind of an interesting approach because especially with cuts to legal aid and I actually was at the Emmanuel Church in Tisbury yesterday. I was doing a talk to they've got quite a large Iranian congregation and I did a talk after Sunday service and we were talking there about the need to to do work on your own behalf and to th- and to think about what corroborative evidence you might get, you know, to support your asylum claim because your lawyer working on a on a fixed fee or graduated fee really doesn't have the resource. It's not that that lawyer is a bad lawyer. Yes. It's that they've got a lot of cases and they've got a couple of hundred pounds per case that the legal aid agency allows. Um, yeah. and it's, it's, ex- it's extremely difficult to do everything that needs to be done yes. in, a, in an ideal world. Yes. So how does that you know affect your day job, if you like, the rap hour work? I suppose it, it kind of keeps me in touch with that field of work. The asylum work is something that we still do at Latitude, but it's less of an emphasis now. We know we're yes. much more kind of commercial, yes. immigration-oriented. So it's good to maintain those those links uh rappers are good grassroots community yeah. organization yeah. it's very good at getting volunteers in we've we've had crossover between rapper and latitude you know people who've um shown themselves to have promise within rapper and they're quite often from refugee or immigrant backgrounds themselves and it, yes. it is really nice to you know to to see people kind of make that transition and um once they've got their status you know to kind of transfer into the work and you know perhaps gain some work experience with us yes and sort um, of be paying back yeah yeah interesting gary just finally you've got quite a lot of um, women who work for you and specifically one of your staff who started really is a Gemma or have I got this Gemma yeah. yeah I just wanted if you could share uh, really her journey so I worked with Gemma when I was at Robert Lazar Solicitors in um, in South Manchester and Gemma had joined from school she was 16 or possibly 17 and she worked on reception and when the firm closed the immigration team Gemma was one of the four people including me that uh, came to Latitude and um She's a real kind of paradigm of how, you know, or a really great example of how you can you can do things a different way. You know, mm. she 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 didn't do A level. She never went to university, but she's through a lot of hard work. She's put herself through the ILEX process. Absolutely, so she's done exams and she's qualified. She's become Phylex and then she's cross-qualified as a solicitor amazing. in the last couple of years. And amazing. She's an amazing fianna and she's she's a you know, really great personality to have around in the office as well. And she, even though she's, I don't know how she is exactly, you know, she's well, probably... Let's not skirt around there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but she's a great role model for people she is, and coming from non-conventional She is, routes. and what, what she's got that kind of authority to talk to law school graduates yes. who are joining the firm who know nothing and you'll 
you'll do well if you're in that situation you know to listen to Gemma because um you know she will she will guide you you know she's a great she's a great mentor within the firm you know to new starters and um yeah she's an amazing uh, amazing example of, of of how things can be done you don't have to do it one way no no and i think it's great to see latitude law supporting that that sort of you know route and and, and journey um now i want to ask you about your favorite fictional lawyer have you got one i had to think about this i think my favorite would be kim wexler who's um the kind of foil to Jimmy McGill's um, oh, yes. less than um, less than straightforward lawyer character in uh, Better Call Saul. She's um, really tenacious, but I mean, she needs she needs to learn some delegation skills, I think. But she, <laughs> she, you'd want her on on your side. She um, she she puts together a good argument. And have you got a book that's changed you? I I don't. I don't look for books about lawyers but this is another book about a lawyer is a great, called... this is great for the women in the law book club I tell you it's expa- we've got such a big list this now. is a big book um, it's nearly a thousand pages it's a Crikey. book by um, a New York public defender called Sergio Della Parva it's called The Naked Singularity and the lead is another public defender called Cassie he demonstrates I think that there's more to life beyond your work you can be and your work can be kind of informed and you can you can become a better lawyer if you've got outside interests i mean the kind of stuff cassie gets involved in you probably wouldn't want oh right oh right so, she, so she's in. not she's not making podcasts <laughs> or or giving speeches or speaking in schools like i am she's not is... making podcasts oh, right, it's a little okay. bit more challenging than that a little <laughs> bit a little bit closer to uh, the edges of legality but oh right um, he's an, he's an amazing character and uh, i would i would definitely recommend that and um, who's that to by your, to your book club sergio della Parra. sergio della Parra. right fantastic that scribbling is me writing it down for the book club. I think it's going to be on the WhatsApp group soon. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, and Gary, I wanted to ask you then about um, any quotes that you live by or any sort of sayings that's sort of a meaningful to you. Well, I'm not very good at aphorisms. Or I, I, I can never remember stuff. But what I did for this, because you reminded me of um, the character of Cassie. I went back and had a look through. He's not making podcasts in addition to the day job. <laughs> so here's Cassie's um, take on life. Intellectual discourse and investigation is admittedly great fun, but only truly meaningful when conducted in the service of others. There you go. Wow. I didn't think the book was profound. I thought it was fun, but that sounds quite profound. It's got, it's got a lot. It's, um, <laughs> it's a great American novel. Thank you so much to Gary McKindo. You can find out more about his work at latitudelaw.com and more about the charity Rappa at rappa.org.uk. I'm Sally Penny. Thank you again for listening to this special episode of Talking Law, brought to you by latitudelaw.com. Do let us know what you think and perhaps who you would like to hear on future episodes by leaving us a comment wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you subscribe, you won't miss an episode. Until then, do check in and see what we're up to at womeninthelawuk.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.